You're listening to Work Tape, episode 93. Welcome to another edition of the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell, Isaac Ruben Grover. And we got a little bit of a short and sweet one here for you today. Music festival season is upon us. And to kick things off, um, a couple weekends ago, we had the Coachella Music and Arts Festival, quite possibly the center point for influencers and um, many folks who are going on daddy's money. <laughs> among <laughs> other things. Uh, but I digress. The Coachella Festival has brought us some very iconic music moments. And for any artist to be there is quite an accomplishment. And it really just says a lot to the validity of your craft if you're able to make it onto the Coachella set list. And speaking of the Coachella set list, one of the big draws of this year's festival and one of the big headliners was Frank Ocean, a man who is quite mysterious and very elusive and reclusive, considering just how acclaimed he is as an R&B artist. And I mean, for good reason, Channel Orange is a great R&B record. I actually didn't mind some of the stuff off of Blonde either. Um, I didn't like it originally when it first came out. Um, I thought that it was almost a little too experimental for me at the time. But since then, some of the songs had grown on me. Self-Control, White Ferrari, Godspeed, are just a couple of examples of some songs. But I'm really believing at this point that Frank Ocean does really not like his fans. So, of course, as you know, Coachella is two weekends. So if you're slated for the Coachella Festival, you're playing both weekends. And the first weekend set of Frank Ocean, at least from videos that I've seen and from what I heard, was anything from god-awfully bad to just (laughs) kind of like disappointingly mid there was really nobody who at least i heard who came out of coachella saying you know what that was a great frank ocean set which is kind of sad because that was an ocean of disappointment right (laughs) frankly Um, which is kind of a shame because a couple of years prior he put on at least from what I've heard and what I've seen, as one of the best music sets at a festival out in L.A. So he's definitely capable of putting on a great performance. But at least with the first weekend, it was riddled with supposedly some last-minute changes. I guess there was a bit of like a complex stage that involved like some sort of like ice rink or something. And why you would have an ice rink in a music festival that's in the desert in 90 or 100 degree plus weather is kind of beyond me. But he apparently had some sort of big plan to do some sort of intricate show where people were going to be, I guess, skating around him as he was doing some music. And then literally, I guess, a couple of hours before he decided just to say, nah, forget that. I'm not going to do that (laughs) and essentially kind of wasted a lot of resources and labor that came in from people. So there were already people who were upset about him. I guess the show started like an hour late too. I guess he was an hour late coming on stage. 
That's pretty bad. When Axel Rose is more consistent in putting on good performances than you are, that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, that is basically like prime Axel Rose behavior, basically. So he started an hour late and then he actually violated like Coachella's curfew because he started late. So he actually had to cut his set short because they told him that, you know, you're you're violating curfew laws or whatever. So that was also a thing. And then this man half sang his songs and then lip synced a lot of the rest of them. And it was just very weird. It almost really just felt like he didn't really want to be there, but that he was obligated to for a check because I think he was going to get paid eight million for both performances. Of course, he's only getting half of that because he only did one performance. But still, $4 million. <laughs> this is crazy to me because this man takes God knows how long to make an album. Then he makes the album, plays a couple of one-off shows in relation to the album, then basically goes into recluse hiding mode for about five, six, seven years, not really putting out much of any music or really performing. And then he comes out and he gets paid $4 million to do one hour's worth of performing in which he wasn't even performing the entire hour. Like, can I get this man's work schedule? Right. <laughs> can I get this man's work schedule, please? I would love to be paid $4 million for an hour of work. That would be great. <laughs> Let's do that. But no. And I'm passionate about this because I would consider myself a Frank Ocean fan. I feel like the fans are typically the hardest on the artists. Well, yeah, they are. But I am a Frank Ocean fan. I love his music. And it's just incredibly frustrating to me that I will probably never get to hear it live just because he kind of wants to be to himself. And I understand that with Frank Ocean, he did lose like his brother, I think a couple of years ago, unexpectedly. So, you know, there's some personal tragedy there, which I completely understand. The loss of any family member, especially one that's close to you, and especially one kind of suddenly, I think his brother died at like a really early age. Hmm. So, you know, of course, that's going to play into your mental state. But do you feel like it was the execution? It's almost like either you should have just quit or if you're going to do it, at least do it well. Right. And he kind of went somewhere in the middle, which is, I think, kind of what the problem was. I think if he really didn't want to do the show, he could have just pulled a Kanye and said, I'm not going to do it. That's very true. A Kanye would have been more respectable. And then they would have been able to find someone relatively quickly as opposed to what ended up actually happening for the second weekend, which is basically where Blink-182, they got Blink-182 to um, headline, which Blink-182 was already there. So it was just like, okay, now you're headlining. So <laughs> really simple. But speaking of Blink-182, just really quickly, that was also one of the big stories to come out of Coachella, the full reunion of the original members of Blink-182. And of course, they are going to go on tour, I believe, this year, all of them, which is why the tickets are probably so outrageously expensive. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, 
I don't know if I can ever justify paying two, three hundred dollars plus for Blink One Eighty Two tickets. What's the price again? What's the price again? <laughs> right. I mean, I do like the fact that they got together. I do think it's really cool that Tom DeLonge is not chasing aliens anymore or, you know, peddling any conspiracy theories and that he's actually trying. I mean, I listened to some of the performance and actually they did a great job. I mean, Tom DeLonge is sounding as good as he can sound. I mean, he's not going to sound as good as when he was younger, but he sounds as good as he can. You know, Mark is Mark. You know, there's not really a lot there. Not much to say much about. <laughs> no. And then, of course, Travis kills it all the time. Always. At least in the public ear and eye, he's the hardest working musician of them all. Oh, yeah. I mean, and because Travis Barker also became one of the most in-demand producers, too, for all the pop punk stuff that just... Yes, he did. Revivals, like the Willow Smith stuff and uh, the MGK stuff. Oh. Those drummers, man, they have a good ear. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, because as a drummer, you're kind of, I don't want to say you're the backbone of the band, but I mean, eh, but you kind of are. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a good drummer and you don't have a good bassist, you're not really going to have a good band and you're not going to have a good song. And so there's a definite curation and ear for sounds in that respect. But actually with Blink-182 pulling out their set for Coachella, um, I think they did a really great job, actually. I think that if the tour is anything like what they did at Cella, I think it's going to be a good show. It's like I said, it's not going to be worth two, three hundred dollars. And then I filed a bankruptcy and that became the end of me. <laughs> right. I don't think it's worth going broke to see Blink-182. But I do think that it's cool to see them reunite. And it actually gives me future or it gives me hope. Although, let me be really honest, this is probably never going to happen because of all the bad blood. But I would love to see an Oasis reunion. I really would. And if Blink-182 can get back together after all these years, I'm sure Oasis could. Although the only kind of real stipulation is that I think Oasis would do just one night. I don't think they would do an entire tour. Because I think there's just too much bad blood between the Gallaghers for them to do one tour. Like one would probably kill the other one before the tour is done. Let's be really honest. But if they did one night and they paid them an obscene amount of money, I could see them doing an, a reunion. I could see them actually, wouldn't that be a crazy Glastonbury show? It would be an oasis and an ocean of Franks. Yeah, definitely. Because I think Matty Healy of the 1975 said it best, which is if you go see a, a Noel Gallagher show or a Liam Gallagher show, not one fan there would not rather see them together as a Oasis. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's nobody who, if you told them, you can see those two solo or you can see them together on Oasis. There's not one person that would say, oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to see Oasis. Like. <laughs> And actually, I mean, Oasis is actually, that's a great band that we haven't, um, have we really divin deep into Oasis? We've talked about them a little bit, and I've said my criticisms about them, but I've been listening to them more lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lemonheads, which I remember last year, I was like, oh, there are no good 92 albums. I mean, I didn't really mean that. Yes, I did. But I also kind of, you know, I mean, Lemonheads had a good record from that time. But I'm 
Right. But I mean, with Oasis, I mean, definitely maybe. And what's the story? Morning Glory. I mean, those two were some of the best rock albums. Sure. Let's go more into them or something. I don't know. Or Yeah, we, we, yeah we'll, we'll figure that out. But um, this is going to wrap it up for the short and sweet version of the work tape podcast or maybe a better word to say it's maybe the quick and dirty version of the, the quick and dirty podcast well quick and clean because you know we, we keep well it. yeah quick yeah. and clean yes I understand. <laughs> yeah because we, we we keep it this is a family show <laughs> this is a family show <laughs> despite the fact that we do talk about some deeper subject matter we do try to keep it family friendly and <laughs> even when advertisers start to jump on board uh we won't have to worry about demonetization nope <laughs> for stuff. So with that being said, this is wrapping up the work tape podcast, a little bit of a Coachella wrap up from the weekend. Stay tuned for more music news and more quick little bits of music news as they're happening. We're going to try to get them for you as they're happening. And of course, for some deeper dives on some of your favorite albums and the production techniques behind some of those albums and just a deeper dive into just everything related to music. Once again, I'm Money Mitchell, Isaac Ruben Grover. Peace. Have a good one. Peace. Peace.